glass, ice, pour. Hello, friends, and welcome to Whiskey and Rye. I am your host, Ryan Charles Brown. Welcome to the first episode of 2020. It feels so good to be back here behind the mic, uh, getting back into the swing of things here recording podcasts. Uh, I hope you had a great end to 2019, and I hope 2020 is treating you very well. Um, man, 2020 uh, is has been off to a great start for, for me personally, and uh, at the end of 2019, I sort of left the end of season one on a cliffhanger, uh, and uh, I apologize for that, but um, I really closed out 2019 um, thinking a lot about this show and the direction of it. And um, so I'm, I'm calling this episode Reignite the Pilot or Relight the Pilot. I haven't decided. Uh, Reignite sounds cooler. I think I'm going to go with that. Um, uh, but what I'm looking to do here with this episode is just uh, share a little bit about what I've learned uh, and then what we're going to do going forward and how Whiskey and Rye is going to become um, the show that I have sort of always envisioned it to become. So um, uh, as I said, I closed out 2019. Um, first, just cheers to 2019. Cheers to all of you, and cheers to 2020. Uh, cheers to you. Oh, Bushmills. So good to me. Um, so uh, I spent the end of 2019 listening to feedback and talking to um, some listeners who have uh, really been with me from the beginning of the show, and, and they've shared with me some great insights. And so I took the feedback that I learned from these, uh, that, that I heard from these individuals, and I wanted to figure out a way to make this show a little bit more clear. One of the things that I was doing when I launched this show is I was looking to create a space to talk about uh, dismantling toxic masculinity, and that's that's pretty aggressive. And I sort of mentioned that as I was closing out the end of the episode when I was having my interview with Elliot Morgan. I was really just kind of going in with what I felt about how you know I want to dismantle toxic masculinity, and Elliot was so gracious to hang with me and talk to me about that but you know I feel like that was a that's a pretty that's a pretty sharp topic to be talking about on a regular basis um, and and it's a topic that's you know toxic masculinity is something that's it's really important to talk about um, and dismantling toxic masculinity is something that's really important to talk about but um, I, I, I had no direction um, I didn't feel like the show really was gaining any momentum and I was sort of stagnant and so I started to think about, um, you know, okay, so what, what, what is, what's my ultimate, my, my goal and really who am I, you know, I'm not someone who has, has a degree in any type of gender studies, though I do have a background in psychology. Um, but I am someone who has talked with thousands of men and women from all over the world about relationships, about fatherhood, about, um, things that are all tied in with masculinity. And so I started to take inventory of who I am and what my skills are and in what conversations I think I would be better at leading. And so um, what I'm thinking to do here with Whiskey and Rye is um, I want to keep doing interviews, but I also want to be able to do things in between uh, doing interviews because, you know, connecting with people's schedules and trying to get regular podcast episodes out, it's it's really difficult. I've been trying to do it for the past two years. And uh, I've just noticed that my strength is um, having a little bit more flexibility, or I don't know if that's a strength, but it's just something that I need. I need to have a little bit more flexibility. So, uh, so, so one of the things that I want to do is I want to be able to put out episodes in between having guests and interviews and stuff like that. So I'm going to try a new format going forward where in between interviews, interviews should, should be, they're still going to be a little bit longer because I, you know, I really think that you can go deep, um, in conversation. You need a little bit of time. So I still want to have a long form interviews. Um, but for these sort of in between episodes, I want to do segments. I want to do four 15 minute segments on just various things, uh, that are all tied in with masculinity. And, and ultimately, my goal with Whiskey and Rye is to create resources that are supporting healthy masculinity. That That's my that's my goal. And I think you can do that by having conversations about things like vulnerability, um, conflict resolution. And then obviously, I love talking about fatherhood. And that's a big part of masculinity today um, is this sort of shift in fatherhood. Uh, I posted something on my personal Facebook about how men today are spending three times more time. Uh, time with their kids than in previous generations. And, you know, uh, even just me personally in my neighborhood walking around, I've talked with a lot of men who are like me, they're work from home dads and 
they they really enjoy um, having this flexibility of of uh, being able to be with their kids, but then also work and uh, and they have great partnership, which is something that I also like talking about as well. So um, so you can expect um, when I'm not doing interviews, um, you can expect me to kind of do segments, and I might even do some segments with my guests um, if I get some people who are really specialized on things. So I think that's something that uh, that you can um, expect going forward. But I just want to give this show a direction and you know. Um, who I am really is I'm a, a, a dad, I'm a husband here living in Los Angeles, um, and, and I'm a freelance, so I don't have a regular job. I do this podcast. Um, I work uh, part-time for a church. I drive for Uber, um, and, and uh, you know, I just have my hands in a couple of other things that, that are all kind of piecing things together, and I think that, um, as I said, there's this growing trend of, of men who are going to be like me, who are spending more time at home and are looking for new ways to bring in in income and revenue. And uh, hopefully some of the topics and things we talk about on this podcast will be inspiring for them. So um, speaking one way to uh, bring in revenue, uh, I've launched something that I'm really excited about. Um, I've launched a Patreon for this podcast. So a few people, uh, when I was talking about, you know, feedback and things like that, they they wanted to support the show, but didn't really feel comfortable just Venmoing money or PayPal or uh, Cash App, you know, which I totally understand. Um, So uh, I set up a Patreon and uh, I'm really excited to be able to share different tiers with you. And and really what this Patreon allows is it's uh, it's just it's a deeper way for you to help me put out resources that will support healthy masculinity. And the main thing that that will be is uh, podcasts. Uh, I'd like to get to the point where I can do a weekly podcast Um, and then I'd also like to put out some high quality videos. And then, you know, big picture, I would love to have um, the ability to do live events and I'd love to write a book at some point. And so um, Patreon is a great website that allows folks who really believe in this message to directly contribute and to help me keep this uh, message message of supporting healthy masculinity going out there. So um, if you're interested, I will uh, include that in the show notes and that'll be in the show notes from going on out. But um, there are five tiers. Uh, the first tier is a $3 tier. And with that, um, you just become an official Patreon and uh, you get a, a access to a monthly newsletter. And um, I also I'm going to be sharing some exclusive photos and uh, maybe a short video every now and then um, just because I love all my patrons um, at that $3 level. So you'll still get some great stuff at that $3 level. But the main thing is you'll be official patron at that point. And really, you're just kind of um, stepping into the game saying, hey, I'm an active participant and wanting to help support healthy masculinity. And then uh, the next level is the $10 level. And uh, I'm really excited to introduce this level because at this level, uh, you're going to be uh, able to not only have access to the podcast that's going to be unedited and uncut and ad-free, but you're also going to get access to a video stream. Yes, for the first time, I'm going to be recording my podcast and I'm actually videotaping this one right now. Uh, It's interesting, I'll say. It kind of has like a Wilson vibe from Home Improvement because you can only see the top half of my face. So I'm going to have to work out some angles uh, and how you, I can maximize the sound and how you can see more, more of my face so it just doesn't look like this set of eyes and a nose and like a half a mustache talking at you. Um, but um, I'm really excited to share the video and uh, this is just gives us a deeper way to connect. Um, so at that $10 level, you get access to the video. And then $25, uh, which is the, the, the sort of mid slash top level, I would say, for people who are really interested, you're going to get a video thank you message from me every month just saying, hey, thanks for supporting that. So um, there are two levels above that, uh, and that's for people who are really looking to connect with me personally. So if you want to do a one-on-one conversation with me uh, about masculinity, or you can talk about whatever you want. We can talk about topics, anything regarding masculinity. Um, There's a $100 level, and at that level, you'll get a uh, 30-minute one-on-one conversation with me per month. And then uh, that's the red carpet patron level. And then the exclusive all-access level uh, for $250, $250 per month. Uh, you're going to get a 60-minute one-on-one conversation with me. We can talk about whatever you want. Plus, you get all of the other things. You get the monthly thank you, access to the video stream, and all of these great things. So um, I really encourage you to check out my Patreon and uh, and sign up. Uh, I've set a goal. If we get to 80 Patreons at the $25 level, I'll be able to uh, – it'll give me enough income and space to be able to drive less for Uber and 
work some of these smaller contract jobs and allow me to put out one podcast episode per week. Uh, so that's my first goal, 80 Patreons. It's a $25 level and we'll do uh, one podcast per week. The next goal is 150 Patreons. It's a $25 level. At that point, I'll be able to not only put on an episode per week, um, but I'll be able to hire a videographer and be able to show more behind the scenes things. Uh, I would love to do some um, live events on the street where we're talking to people real time about topics about masculinity. Um, and then, uh, and so, so if we can reach 150, I'll be able to get someone else to, to hire me full time. And then also, you know, better video quality, uh, excuse me, better audio quality. And, and, um, I'd also like to be able to, uh, give some money to my friends, um, for helping, uh, the deep West with the music. And so, you know, any, any, all of these things will help cover some of the administrative costs as well. And then lastly, um, my, my level, if we can get to, um, to 250 Patreons to $25 level, I'll be able to commit to whiskey and rye full time. And that's really the ultimate goal for me to be able to dedicate all my time to creating resources that help support healthy masculinity, specifically seeking out people of influence to have conversations with, because there are a lot of people in Hollywood, um, athletes, uh, authors, all of the podcasters, people who are talking about this conversation, but they don't necessarily have a platform where they are talking about this exclusively. Um, you know, one of my podcast heroes is Dax Shepard uh, of Armchair Expert. You know, he is great at talking about some of the things that I talk about a little bit in the show, but that's not his show. His show isn't a show about addressing um, or, or talking about healthy masculinity while he is, you know, kind of on that journey, I'm assuming on himself. Uh, himself um, that's not his show, but I would love to be able to have the resources to reach out to someone like Dax and say, hey, I would love to have you on the show. You mentioned some of these things in your show. I'd love to be able to have you expand on that here on my platform. So, um, so all these things with Patreon will allow me to dedicate full time to whiskey and Ryan. So, um, if you have any questions, <clears throat> if you have any questions, you can email me, um, whiskey and rye pot at gmail.com. And uh, I would love to talk to you or, uh, sign up on Patreon and we can talk through that way as well. Um, okay, great. I think that is, uh, the first thing that I want to share, uh, for this first part. Um, like I said, we're going to try this new thing where we're going to be doing segments. Um, so I want to now work, uh, my way into the first segment. I'll take a little take a little whiskey drive to get me there. Whiskey drive, I like that. <clears throat> so, um one of the things that I heard from uh, people when I was getting feedback about the show is um they wanted to know a little bit more about who I am and how did I get to this point um where I feel like I know enough about healthy masculinity to be able to talk about it. And, um, you know, I think the big thing that helped me get to where I'm right now was, um, just kind of having this epiphany when I found out I was going to have a son to thinking about how did I become a man and when, what did that look like? And then having that conversation with people driving through Lyft and Uber. So I want to explain that a little bit because this week, um, by the time this episode comes out, I'm going to hit a really big milestone. I'm going to hit over 8,000 rides. Um, and so I just want to talk a little bit about my journey as a Lyft and Uber driver. So I started driving for Lyft as I was graduating from seminary. So I started with Uber first. Uh, I drove for Uber for like two months. Um, a friend of mine had a referral code, 500 bucks, I think. Um, I had a certain amount of rides. They get 500, I get 500. Uh, so I did that and didn't have a great experience. This was three years ago. Uh, so Uber um, was still under there. Uh, I think the CEO who was really not very well liked, he was still there. So um, just before that transition, and so I didn't have a great experience. And so I moved over to Lyft because uh, the rideshare was supposed to be a six-month temporary uh, sort of in-between thing as I was graduating seminary. Um, I had to do a uh, an internship, but it wasn't an internship. It was a project-based internship when I was graduating seminary. Um, and and I was sort of waiting to do that. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so, so I needed something in between. Lyft uh, stepped in there. So I started driving for Lyft. And six months passed. Uh, things were slow going with my uh, internship, had some things happen. I actually had to delay a few months 
uh, from doing my internship because if something happened, I'll probably talk about that in the show at some point when I go when I have an episode about my faith and what happened there. But um, had sort of an unfortunate thing happen with uh, my internship and had to delay, and it really was I was getting married, and it was just like the worst time to have bad like this thing happen. But whatever, it happened. Um, <clears throat> so I kept driving for Uber, or excuse me, for Lyft, um, and then two years passed, and at that point I'd given over five thousand rides on this platform and so i started to talk with people like hey you know i've given over five thousand lift rides and when i do that people were like wow that's a lot you know um and i didn't really think about it until i was like wow yeah you know that is a lot of that's a lot of strangers coming through my car uh you got to think five thousand rides average of one point five person per ride so that's like you know it's close to what, 7,500 people um give or take 500 maybe so maybe let's say 7,000 that's a lot of people that I've talked with I know I haven't gone deep with all of them but I went deep with I would say well over 75 percent of them so the numbers are they're right there they're pretty staggering the number of people that I've had like deep intimate conversations about faith masculinity manhood my own journey to manhood fatherhood all of these crazy things um and so I realized like wow you know that is a staggering amount of people that I've been able to talk to with and I've had real conversations I mean these are conversations that I that I think market research companies would pay millions for so um you know anybody if, if anybody from you know nielsen or anybody else wants to pat you know tap my you know, i'm well uh, available for consulting services <laughs> please hit me up whiskey and rye pot at gmail.com um because i feel like i've got this really interesting insight on humanity and so I started to think about um, these conversations, and 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 so uh, five thousand that was like a big number. Um, and so I was like, man, you know, I should really. I feel like I have some sort of responsibility to do something about this. So uh, I started to think about it, and and I, that's you know, I kind of was thinking about a podcast and so on and so forth. And then um, the start of twenty nineteen, uh, I switched over and started driving again for Uber. I'd left the Lyft platform. Historically, what was happening is January, this time of year, uh, the rideshare platform gets very slow. Not a lot of folks traveling in and out of LA, mostly international folks. Lyft doesn't have an international presence. Uber does. <clears throat> I felt like I was leaving money on the table. And if I'm out driving around Los Angeles, leaving my wife and at this point, newborn baby at home, I better be sure shit making money. So I got tired of just driving around uh, for Lyft, not making any money. So I switched over to Uber, immediately started making more money. And uh, at the very least was getting more rides. So I just wasn't driving around as just sitting around as much. I was at least working, getting paid. So immediately started making more money. So in this point, um, I'm gonna, so I did 5,000 with, uh, with Lyft in two years. And, uh, just, but I, you know, I'd done like 500 rides or something. Like I said, I made 500 rides, 500 bucks or whatever with Uber before. So I started this year about 500 rides with well, this week, actually to today, I'm recording this episode on Friday. It's going to come out on Monday today. I'm going to turn 3000 rides. So I'm just about to surpass 8,000 rides. So all this backstory to say, I've talked with a lot of people about, what healthy masculinity looks like. And and so one of the things that I was struggling with um, with this show is I was trying to, you know, I was like, I'm not going to define toxic masculinity, but I I wasn't really like, do, but I wasn't doing anything with it. So I realized like, I want to have conversations about what what healthy masculinity does look like. And so I started to take inventory of my life and, you know, how did I become a healthy man? And one of the things that was really uh, probably the most beneficial thing for me um, as, in my own journey was were personality tests. And uh, I really, I had never, it wasn't until my 30s that I took the Myers-Briggs. I never did any strength finders. Um, and, you know, I became familiar with this thing called the Enneagram, uh, which is really cool, uh, which is really cool. But um, so I thought, you know, I wanted to share a little bit about uh, my personality types and uh, as a way for, for you to get to know who I am and how I think, because that really motivates a lot of what this show is, is who I am and what I think. Cause it's, it's my perspective on what I think healthy masculinity is based on these, you know, thousands of conversations with people. And, and I'm going to talk about an article later in this episode. And this journalist, she was like, Oh, I interviewed over a hundred men uh, about this one topic. And I'm like, 
I interview a hundred men in three days. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, I think I have a, 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 you know, there was another study that they referenced in this. We're like, oh, we studied over a thousand men. I did that in six months, you know? And so I, I just feel like, again, I have this responsibility to share all of these things that I've, that I've learned, but I, mostly what I've learned, I, I, I've learned these things in learning about myself because myself is really what I started, uh, what really started this whole journey. So, um, so the first, uh, the first personality test that I took was the Myers-Briggs and I am an ENFJ. Uh, I went to 16personalities.com and uh, I'll put that in the show notes and I did a little personality test and I learned what my uh, what my personality was. So ENFJ and this personality, they list this person as a, as a protagonist and essentially what they describe about this person is, and it's what I, I, I agree this, this, this is me, is they call this person the protagonist and essentially this is a person who naturally desires to lead change. And for me, I like to lead positive change. Uh, so it makes sense that I'm jumping into this conversation about supporting healthy masculinity because um, I realized I was on a path of very unhealthy masculinity. And what that looked like for me is that looked like a lot of passive aggressive behavior uh, that looked a lot of like using my actions instead of my words to have relationships with people. And um, I realized that, you know, I was fracturing a lot of relationships with people that I really enjoyed. And I was just missing out on an overall quality of life. I wasn't happy. I was never satisfied. Nothing was ever enough. And so that's really just no way to live. And so I, uh, I, I'm really thankful that I learned um, this about my about my natural ability to be around people and wanting to lead people because it, it showed me about healthy leadership. Or, and, and it really it actually showed me that I was leading in an unhealthy manner, but my desire to lead was still there. So it helped me learn about like healthy leadership. And that's where I really learned from people like Brené Brown, who talks about vulnerability and, um, you know, she, her big book, Daring Greatly, I think is a wonderful leadership tool because, uh, those who lead need to take risks, you know, and it's a big risk, uh, for me to, 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 well, no, I said there's no risk for me. This is this is what I love to do. I'm not risking anything. Um, so, but the risk, the risk of me uh, wanting to win people's approval. So that's something that's really important to me. Um, and that's you know I didn't know that about myself, but you know wanting to be a leader, uh, you want to be liked. You know, so learning that I have this uh, uh, protagonist sort of wanting to lead type personality, it showed me like okay, so you have this desire to do it, but you're not doing it the right way. So that that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You need to learn it. And so there's an important point in there, and that's the positive self-talk. So where I used to go, when I think like, oh, well, you want to do these things, but you're not good at it. So it's like, well, you just give up. It's like, no, no, you can learn. People can learn anything. You can, you can read books. We live in a day where a quick uh, Jugal search... <laughs> Because I'm not going to say the other one, Jugal. A quick Jugal search, and uh, all of a sudden you can find whatever you need to know about whatever, you know. So, um, so it, there's a responsibility in in wanting to to learn. And so I was identifying these aspects of my personality. I want to lead. I'm not leading the right way. Um, so, so how do I do that? And so, and, and you know, another another thing that that really made me learn about myself is I always wondered, you know, why did I leave Michigan? Why did I come here to Los Angeles? Like I could do, I could host a podcast in Michigan. I could be unemployed in Michigan. I, you can't really be freelance, but like I could do it. Uh, it just wouldn't be pretty. So why did I come to LA? Well, I came to LA because this is where I was able to learn from people. I was really able to get such a large sample size because such an international presence comes through the city. Um, I was able just to really learn learn, learn so much. And, and so I got to talk with people, other people who are ENFJs, and I get to learn from people more specifically who, uh, the E is extrovert. Um, I got to learn from people who are I's introverts. And that was something that was really beneficial. Um, one of the contract jobs I worked over the past few years, I was managing, uh, a lot of volunteers. Most of them, I would say well over 75% were probably more on the introverted side. And so here I come in like, Hey, here I am, Johnny manager, all this stuff. And they're like, whoa, 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 this is very aggressive. And, and so I wasn't connecting with them. I wasn't leading them properly. 
So, um, you know, leadership is something that's important to men and men feel like they need to be the best leaders, but leadership can look different, right? Leadership doesn't look like necessarily being the one at the, in the boardroom leading the meeting or leadership can look like taking ownership of, of your own qualities and saying, I want to be better for myself. And in that way, you're like indirectly leading, but it's more partnership. Right. And I think, I think if leadership shifted, especially in like intimate relationships into partnership, now I'm talking, I'm moving into a little bit more marriage stuff here, but I think overall men in general, like if we redefine what leadership look likes and it's, it's, becomes more collaborative, I think we're going to see, see th- more things happen. So, so, um, yeah, so that was my, my Myers-Briggs. So I want to do my strength finders now. So my top strengths, first one, communication. Number two, positivity. Number three, strategic. Number four, woo, woo, woo. I love that one. Uh, and number five, individual is an individualization, I think. So, <clears throat> Let's break that down a little bit. Um, I just learned these strength finders maybe a year ago, and I think that was probably between the strength finders and the enneagram are probably the two strength finders. I'll talk about the enneagram in a minute. Uh, those were probably the the two most informative ones in my life because, and again, I took these later in life. I'm not that. I wish I would have taken these earlier. And if you haven't taken these tests, I'll have links in the show notes. Do it today immediately because. Um, learning about yourself is such a beautiful thing. So me learning that I have a a desire to communicate, it helped me think about this show and like, okay, so what are you really trying to say? You know, and and like I said before, I was sort of on this path, like I'm dismantling toxic masculinity. I'm going to whiskey drive here for a second. So... (laughs) I think I'm going to do like different for for depending on how long of a sip, like a whiskey, like a whiskey jog will be just like a little sip and a whiskey drive. That's going to be like a more of a, of a one. And I think maybe at the end of the show, we'll do a whiskey road trip. And that's just where I drink whatever's left in my glass. (laughs) So what was I talking about? Communication. What am I even talking about? Yeah, that's right. So I was on this path of what am I trying to say? And so learning that I have this this um, gift, the strength of communication, made me think about, you know, partnering this with my strategic gift. What am, what am I saying that's really going to make a difference? Because that's ultimately what I, what I want with this podcast, with the re- resources that I'm creating, is I ultimately want to make a difference. And one of the things that I was doing before is I was trying to highlight examples of people who are doing good work, but I was also trying to highlight people who had good voices who could kind of help steer, uh, steer the rudder, steer the ship a little bit and talking about toxic masculinity and how they could dismantle it and things like that. And again, I think where I am and what I want to talk about is is how do you how do you support healthy masculinity what does that look like you know and so that's my strategic part i started to strategically think about how we're go- how i want to talk about promoting healthy masculinity you know and again that ties in with my positivity because like, i'm a positive i'm a positive person you know maybe to a fault sometimes i, I you know I, I don't know i i just but i feel like i feel like for this conversation there there has been enough uh, there's there's been enough conversation about hey we know what some of these behaviors are no no I don't I don't take that back there's not been enough there's never it, while there while the problems that we're having regarding toxic masculinity are still prevalent we need to keep having these conversations so yes there's the conversations need to keep happening but what I'm interested in having conversations about are how do we do something about it and what do we do what do we do about it and so that's kind of like communication positivity strategy all wrapped into one and then woo is kind of just like your desire to want to like get people involved with you and and you want people to to come along with you and that's why i wanted that's why it's so important for me to build a community with whiskey around that's why i have the patreon now um but you know right off the bat i had a twitter i had an instagram and um you know those are places where i want to interact with folks and i want to i want to bring this conversation 
up from the clouds and back down to like a, a, a practical level too, because again, that's how you do something about it. You know, that's how you, and, and until we get to the point where we're um, naming things or, you know, something, another paradigm shift happens, like we got, we got to just do something and be practical. But again, I think this, this is my part of the conversation. One of the shows that I really enjoy watching, um, Hassan Minaj, uh, Patriot Act on Netflix. Um, his at last episode of 2019 talked about how, you know, you can really get burned out um, by caring about so many things. And he suggested that it's, or he, yeah, he suggested it's to to take a couple of things off, you know, to not care about everything. And like, if you stand, I heard this great quote, if you try to stand for everything, you really stand for nothing. And I think that's what I was doing a lot as I was trying to stand for all men and that's just not possible, you know, because men are, they're all very different. What I'm interested in talking about and who I'm interested in talking about this with are with men who are interested in exploring what healthy men, men and women, people, individuals, all genders, not just exclusively men, all people who are interested in having a conversation about what healthy masculinity looks like, but more support, more specifically how we can support healthy masculinity, because that's, that's the practical component of it. And so you know, and then, and, and the individual piece is kind of like last piece of me is I just, that's where the stories come in. That's where I love to hear stories. And, and one of the things I'm writing about my medium profile right now is, is, uh, is the, the, the craziest story I've ever heard from driving from Uber. That's probably the number one question I get. What's the craziest story you have? And, you know, most of the time people want to hear about somebody throwing up or some people like hooking up and making out and like, yeah, I have those stories, but they're, you know, they're exactly what you expect. They don't end the way that you, they just, they all just fall flat. It's like, and then the person got out of my car and that was the end of it. It's like, you know, it just falls flat, you know, but I have a story that, um, it changed my life and, uh, of the 8,000 rides, I'll never forget this person. So I'm writing about that right now. Um, but, um, so, so to, to kind of wrap up my strength finders, I noticed that all five of my strengths tie into this podcast if I make it about something that I really want to talk about, and that's supporting healthy masculinity. And that means I can talk about things like fatherhood. I don't want to exclusively talk about fatherhood, but it is a giant part of my life. Um, I, I'm spent, I spent a lot of time with our son, and, and um, so I'm going to talk about that because for me, that's a big part of my journey um, in masculinity. And I think other men will identify that as well, but I'm not going to exclusively talk about that. I'm also going to talk about partnership, which for me looks like marriage. But again, I'm, um, just because I come from a cisgender heteronormative relationship, that doesn't mean the things that I am going to talk about won't be helpful for people in general. And I'm hopefully going to talk about stuff, just general partnership that no matter what type of relationship you're in, it will be beneficial. Um, but, but all of these things are going to help support healthy masculinity, which is my ultimate goal. And I want to talk about the Enneagram, my last personality test, because this kind of explains why I want to do this. So I am an Enneagram 2, which is classified as a helper. And this is someone who has a natural sort of actually even an unhealthy desire to help and get involved. And one of the things that the Enneagram has helped show me is help show me why. I want to get, why do I want to help? And I used to have a very dark side of me that wanted to get involved in helping things for my own personal benefit. Cause I wanted people to say like, Oh gosh, man, Ryan, you're such a great guy. Like, thanks so much for showing up. Um, I wanted those accolades and that's not really helping. Um, that's more, that's more for yourself. It's selfish. And so I realized, you know what, I don't want to, I don't want to be that type of person any longer. So how can I make helping, um, better. So one of the things I had to do, I had to learn about myself. I had to show up in spaces where I was a minority. I had to get quiet. I had to listen and I had to redefine what helping looks like. And there's a great movie. Um, Martin Scorsese is a movie called silence. Uh, and it's about these two monks who travel to Japan, uh, to sort of rescue this monk who has been rumored to have lost his faith and is now living, um, living among the, the, the people in this village, but is no, no longer a practicing Catholic monk. monk. And so these two monks go and they talk with him. So this movie Silence had a really profound impact on my, my faith, one, but also in my, in, like, in my thinking about like, why do I help and why do I get involved in certain projects, certain things? And so, um, so the Enneagram, it's, it's, uh, it, 
it's like one of those things like it seems like a really fun ride at the beginning but then you get super sick in the middle and you start puking your guts out and then at the end you're like i think that was fun but i'm not quite sure uh but i promise you like it really is it really is a fun journey because you know it, it, it invites you into doing that shadow work, which is like a, 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 psych, a therapy, therapy psychology term. Um, but, you know, shadow work for me has been so vital in just, you know, shining a light in the dark spots in my life that I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to confront. And, and so, um, you know, doing, doing this work with the Enneagram and personality tests helped me learn these dark spots in my personality, these, these sort of areas that I've been avoiding and it, and it helped me grow and, and learn and become a better person. And, and ultimately uh, I'm grateful for that because I am a more healthy, more well-rounded individual because I know who I am. And, and, and ultimately the big takeaway from all of these tests is it just helps you to learn who you are so you can begin to accept yourself. Um, obviously there's things that you might want to change. Um, but ultimately you need to just accept who, this is my unsolicited advice. You need to accept who you are, uh, whoever that might be, change the things you need to change, but know that, um, you, you are, you are who you are because of certain things. I'm a nature versus nurture type of person. Um, and you are who you are for certain things. And so, uh, acknowledge those things, just be okay with that. Um, but then grow, grow in the areas you need to grow and personality tests really helped me with that. So, um, I hope you, uh, take some of these tests. I'll put them in the show notes and I hope you dive into them. I hope you enjoy them. Uh, they're super fun. I really enjoyed taking all of them and there's books that go along with them. And, uh, you know, once you do them, don't just do them and be like, well, that was good. Do them and talk with people, you know, uh, they're great conversation starters, you know, obviously you're going to maybe want to start with someone that you've known for a little while, but, uh, yeah, just chat with some people about what it is and, uh, and see what their personality types are. That's really fun. So, um, all right, whiskey drive, let's do it. Nah, whiskey jog. All right. So this next segment, um, I'd referenced my medium profile. Um, I had a blog for a while, uh, and just didn't feel like paying for the donate name domain name anymore and so i uh just moved over to medium uh, it's a great platform and so i'm using that uh and so i put out my first piece uh in a while i put it out in 2019 and i plan on writing some more uh but i wanted to talk a little bit about what i wrote because um it's about one of my favorite topics, fatherhood. Uh, and like I said, I don't want to exclusively talk about fatherhood, but because it is just such a huge part of who I am, uh, I wanted to take some time and just uh, talk about what, uh, what I think is really important. And that was the top three things I would prioritize as a new father. So um, one of the things that I've been reflecting on, um, you know, even just actually after the holiday season too, is um, how do I... I didn't have a plan for organizing pictures and videos and these just hundreds of thousands of files, electronic files of our son that I have in various places. I would have, I would love to have a central location folders and all of these things where I could have all this stuff. And so first thing I wrote about in my article, one of the things that I would have loved to make space for uh, was having an idea of what I wanted to do for photos because I have photos from different visits and photo shoots and his first time doing this and like, but if I had to go and try to find the video of his first steps right now, I couldn't find it. It'd be so difficult. It'd be like swimming through a sea of, you know, Snapchat pictures of, or I mean, not Snapchat, Instagram pictures of him and I, and all of these just craziness, you know, videos of this and screenshots of things that I needed. You know, it's just, it's, it's a cluster. So I wish that I would have made a priority for photos. And I'm really encouraging any, if there's any new dads out there, dad, you know, guys early on, your kids are just born, like figure out something that you want to do for pictures because um, it just, it's overwhelming now at this point. I don't even know where to start. Like it's going to take, it's going to take probably an entire weekend to just sit down and organize all these photos. Um, you know, we've got pregnancy photos and just all of these things, different files and, and they're in like three or four different places. So, you know, I, I really love to, these are precious memories that I just cannot lose. And so I want to make sure that we get those, uh, in one place. So, uh, prioritize something for your photos. That's something that's really important. Another thing is like, 
thinking about someone to take photos during really important times of your life where you just don't want to be stuck behind a camera. Um, I'm thinking of a couple, one, um, in, and this is going to sound a little weird, but in the, in the delivery room. Uh, now, we weren't in a hospital. We were in a birthing center, but I would have loved to have a few shots. Um, obviously, in those in-between moments where Jen was uh, okay, where we could just be together, just a few shots of the peaceful moments um, before it all kind of got crazy. I think that would have been really nice to have. Um, and then, you know, a few shots after the baby was born uh, and some videos too, because I think I literally have less than five. I, I, yeah, no, I, I have less than five minutes of video of Reese um, right when he was born. And so I really wish that I would have, but it was, it was just literally Jen and I in the room, which was beautiful. It's great. Um, but I would like to, I would have liked to have a little bit more video, uh, for us to be able to remember that moment. So thinking about someone to take these videos, I think is also uh, photos and videos, I think is really important. And then, and then, you know, thinking about milestones too. first birthday, I would have loved to have someone here just taking shots of our friends and different things. So, um, cause I was just kind of like scrambling, taking pictures before before people cut into the cake, before we eat the food. And I would have loved to have someone just kind of take care of that, get videos of guests, maybe even, you know, excuse me, photos of the guests, and then maybe even do just like little videos or something. So I would just really recommend thinking about having someone else photo and video these and then something that you can do with them really easily uh, so that way you don't have to uh, so that way you don't have to, to worry about, um, thinking about this, you know, uh, later on. Next thing I wish I would have thought about more is a way that I could appreciate my partner, uh, my wife a little bit more during, uh, those first few months where we're just trying to figure everything out. Baby's here. We're trying to rearrange our lives. We got family visiting. Uh, she's nursing and pumping and, not sleeping and all these things. I wish I would have found a way to um, say thank you and be a, a little bit more appreciative of her in that time. So um, things that uh, that I wish I would have done, getting cards, chocolate. I've got some chocolate for every now and then. That went a long way. But, you know, uh, cards, um, words of affirmation, stepping up and cooking and cleaning. And cleaning what is it, would have been a big one, cleaning the house cleaning the bathrooms, uh, just kind of keeping the place organized and clean. That would have been, a, that would have been a big one. I wish I would have done that a little bit more, but overall, I just wish that I would have made it more of a priority to just appreciate her, her, um, what she was doing and her sacrifice and, and just how gracious she was, she was being in, and, um, in helping us adjust to this massive change in our, in our lives. And so, um, yeah, I wish, I wish I would have thought more about how to appreciate her. And then, you know, when we've got family visiting and all these things, like it's just, you, you don't get, you don't get much time together. So you need to, to think like, okay, how can we do something quick? You know, how can I connect with her quickly, uh, as a way just to say, thanks for, you know, what you did today. And then just, you know, thinking about like, as the baby grows and was going through different things, like we're learning together. Just, I wish I would have thought about how we could have, I could have communicated a little bit better and, and just been a little bit uh, more of a better partner. So that's something I would have wished that I would have prioritized a little bit more. And I just encourage you to think about that, you know, have a plan going into, um, you know, wherever you are in the pre-pregnancy or wherever you are afterwards, like wherever you are right now, just start to have a plan and bake those times and bake in times to, you know, just go get coffee or go get lunch or, you know, do whatever you need to do, just the two of you, um, and take the lead on that because, you know, it's really going to be hard for your partner to think about those things when they're trying to do all these other things, feed the baby, feed themselves, all that. So, um, it's important to take the lead on that. Um, and I wish I would, I wish I would have led that a little bit more. So, uh, so that's a big one. And then the last thing, uh, <laughs> this is a silly one, but, um, I wish I would have invested more in body wipes. Um, because I'm telling you, uh, the first three months, you know, you don't get a lot of sleep because the baby's up a few times, but it's not bad. Baby sleeps in big chunks, especially during the day. Uh, three months hits and baby's fully developed now. And in, in our case, um, you know, the nap situation just got crazy. And so we're trying to sleep train and we're doing all these things and, I'm exhausted, Jen's exhausted, and so many times 
when you've got a free moment, you're like, I haven't showered in three days, but I am so dead. <laughs> you're just going to go take a nap. You're going to lay down and take a nap. So what I wish I would have done is I wish I would have inv- gotten some uh, body wipes and just wiped myself down, given myself a little tour shower and just gotten clean because, um, once Jen was feeling better, we were wanting to connect physically again, but honestly, and I don't blame her, she'd sometimes she'd just be like, no, dude. Like, yeah, and it's not because I was like rank, but it just, I don't, I, you know, it's, you're not intimate with someone for so long and then they come at you and you're like, yeah, you stink for, you smell like a three day old, you know, sweatsuit, uh, which is makes sense. Cause I'm wearing a sweatsuit that I've been wearing for three days. Um, it just, it just doesn't work. So, um, you want to be able to set up those intimate times as best as possible. And just a quick wipe down. Uh, I wish that I would have done that made it, it would have made myself a lot more appealing, I'm sure. Uh, so, so whatever that looks like for you, um, you know, just get yourself some, some wipes and, and, and no, you know, I guess this is kind of like a side note about the, the intimacy thing. Like, I think one of my big fears, uh, after, after, you know, my wife had a natural childbirth and after Reese was born, I was like, we're never going to have sex again. Like, it's just, it's over. And it's, that's not true. Uh, after healing and after time and after all those other things, our sex life, um, it was, it, it, it's fine. Everything is fine. Everything's back to normal. So, so there's like that myth too, like it's never going to be the same. No, it is. And actually the more supportive you can be through the healing process, the better your sex life will be afterwards. Uh, I think those just kind of go hand in hand. Um, so, you know, really support your partner through this healing process. Uh, don't rush things back. Um, because like I said, the fear of it's never going to go back to the same. It's not there. And rushing, rushing that healing process is just not good for anybody. So um, in the meantime, wipe yourself down. <laughs> Get back into a shower rotation. Uh, do everyone a favor. Uh, all right. So uh, I'm not, uh, I think that's all I want to say on that. If you want to read the full article, medium.com slash Ryan Charles LA. Uh, and that will have everything. But um yeah, hope to write more about uh, fatherhood and other topics like that uh, or, or my Medium profile. Uh, so uh, speaking of things that have been written, uh, I want to do a mailbag episode. Uh, well, I guess a mailbag segment. This isn't a mailbag episode. We're not there quite yet. But um, from time to time, i got to adjust this microphone here. It's falling on me. It's because I've got it all twisted. There we go. I, from time to time, get articles emailed to me about topics, mostly masculinity type topics. And I love that. I love when people are like, hey, I was reading this thing and it made me think about you. And that thing was about how we can support healthy masculinity. That's awesome. I love being thought about as a person who, who I love being someone who comes to mind as someone when they think about supporting healthy masculinity. That's great. So I received a an article called "The Miseducation of the American Boy," uh, written by Peggy Orenstein or Orenstein. I'm not sure, uh, but she is an author. She's written several books. The last book that she is accredited for writing for that I saw in there was a book called "Boys and Sex." Uh, but anyway, this is, uh, an author who I mentioned previously in the other episode, uh, earlier in this episode, she, uh, talked with about a hundred men, college aged men, uh, about masculinity and their views on manhood. And so she talks about a couple of, um, individuals throughout this story. And, uh, she starts with this young man who, um, seems to have a pretty healthy view of masculinity and uh and 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 one of the things that um she was noticing in this uh article or about this young man is he was able to kind of speak about what uh toxic masculinity was and then also what healthy masculinity was and so that you know kind of in what I was mentioning before about how I was sort of having this conversation sort of round about toxic masculinity well that's kind of been defined and I think this article kind of it proves that because this this is a younger man. He's younger than me. He's you know, 10 years younger than me, uh, is able to identify what toxic masculinity is, but is also able to identify what healthy masculinity is. So I think that's great. Um, so, uh, but one of the things that, um, 
I found interesting about this young man is he was talking about, you know, this idea of like bro culture and um, this idea of being a bro and kind of having this status as a bro and what that meant in terms of being sexually aggressive. And it, it was interesting. The, the first part of this article touches a lot about how, a lot about how male identity is tied in with the sort of sexual conquest and this ability to be um, kind of this sexual conquistador, this person who's able to quote unquote bag a lot of chicks. And um, you know, I, I used to think that that was uh, an old narrative, and I think it's just not. I think it's a narrative that's continuing from generation to generation. And as this person. Uh, in the article, as Peggy uh, was continuing to talk to these men college age, she just found it more and more prevalent that, uh, you know, to quote unquote, not be a pussy, which I hate that word. So I'm going to reassociate that with weak. So to not be weak, but just know in the article, when I say weak, they use, they use the P word. In order to not be weak, be weak you, uh, you have to kind of, you you get back at women. Women are a possession. Women are something that you use and, and just these negative views. And so this young man was like, I know that that's not right, but I don't know. I don't know what to do or what to say about it. I can't participate in these things if I, I don't know how to participate um, just being myself when I, within this culture where these other men are like that. And so, you know, I, I just find it really interesting that... Um, at this point in, in college and things like that, when men, you know, college is, I think for, for me was one of the, one of the pit stops where I was trying to formulate my own identity, you know, in, in high school, I, I didn't take time to form an identity. I, I waited till college for that. And so, you know, I think about young men who were like me, who are trying to formulate their identity in college and they're trying to find a place that they fit in. And the only place that they find they can fit in is this bro culture or a place that they feel safe to fit in is this bro culture. I just find it's really damaging um, early on. And so these, uh, these ideas of, of what, what toxic masculinity is, um, are, are thankfully now with this generation being identified. However, there's not much that they can do about it. You know, this young man is like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to find community without that. So, uh, so, you know, the, the article, uh, as it, it wraps up, it wasn't focused on, you know, well, what's going to happen to this individual and we won't be able to know. I, I don't think I'll be able to talk to him and be able to figure it out. But I think, uh, what his conversation, what, what this article mirrors is a lot of conversation that I've had with other men in the car where they're like, yeah, you know, I want to do something about being a better man, but I just don't know where to go. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where to have those resources. So, uh, so I thought that was really, that was really interesting. Um, and, and so, you, you know, there was a, there was a study, um, that, that this, uh, Penny Undern is, uh, is, is, is Penny Undern, Undone is a survey company, uh, and they did a survey of over a thousand boys. Uh, and, and what they've shown in this study is that masculinity, uh, within these boys, this idea of masculinity has, it has shifted a bit. Um, and, and what they're, what they're noticing is, is that, um, masculinity over over time even in the, the the past two centuries has shifted in fact um late 19th century men uh or maybe i don't remember exactly i'll have to i'll reference you can reference the article either it's either later early 19th century men will just say that at, at a point the 19th century men uh masculinity uh was associated with things like compassion and someone who was slow to judge and slow to anger and, and all of these things and so you know uh, it wasn't until later in the 20th century where um, masculinity started to get tied in with production and producing results that there became this sort of hyper competition within the male, uh, the male species to be the best. But that's just feeding on the natural sort of top dog uh, thing that's sort of wired into all men's brains to be to be the top uh, so so again we shifted the the narrative of masculinity from something that was healthy to something that's unhealthy but I think we're in a place now where when I read articles like this I think the the shift is coming back and so having conversations like we're having here on whiskey and rye, uh, where we're, we're we're supporting healthy masculinity I think will eventually, be sort of the next chapter for people like this individual who are on this uh, journey to try to figure out, you know, where do we go? And, and ultimately I think what this, uh, what this 
article is trying to convey is how do we help young men understand their own emotions? You know, that's something that I'm dealing with right now with our son. He's 15 months and he is becoming very expressive when uh, he's upset about something. And we're trying to figure out uh, how do we channel that into something positive? Because one of the things I really struggled with growing up was asking for what I needed and uh, being open with what I, with my needs and acknowledging my own needs. And so at a very early age, my son, our son is expressing his needs and I'm very thankful for that. But how do you channel that into something positive using your words, you know? Uh, what do you need? Is it an owie? Are you hungry? A diaper? What is it? Want to go outside? You know, these types of things. Uh, and I think that's what I appreciated about the stories that were shared in this article is that these young men felt comfortable sharing that there was a lack. And I think acknowledging that lack is a really good thing. Um, but I think what where I've felt a lot of the the sort of cultural narrative around toxic masculinity and healthy masculinity is stopped. It's like it's we're just noticing that there's a lack and that's fine. We're gonna wait though for some somebody else or something else to to take care of that. And so, um, again, just because this is relate the pilot and I'm talking about why this conversation is so important to me. It's, it's for these reasons where I feel that the, the healthy masculinity conversation is needing to, to start where the toxic masculinity conversation has ended. So we're now picking up this conversation of, okay, so this is toxic masculinity, but now this will be healthy masculinity. Um, and, and so one of the ways we can do that is helping young men understand and convey their emotions be able to say i am sad i am frustrated i am annoyed i'm hurt um one of the things this article talked about is that oftentimes um young men when they exhibit a behavior uh people if they observe it nine times out of ten they'll say it's anger if it's a boy if he expresses some sort of anything they say well he's mad well that might not necessarily be true maybe they're they're frustrated. They're not mad. But they're like, no, I know I can do this, but you know, it's being mad, and being frustrated, or being annoyed. They're all they're all different things. It's complex. Um, so I think just thinking about the breadth of emotions, the scope of emotions, and um, and just learning from from young people. One of these, I learned this from my son. You know, I I see what what how we all naturally are i mean he was a blank slate when he came out and and he is who he is now because of how the work and the things that my wife and i have done you know obviously he had some of his own stuff that we are working with but he he is who he is because of because a lot of ways because of us um and so um there's a responsibility that i have as his dad to help him when he is expressing his emotions in a negative way to be able to say hey good job for expressing your emotions i i i acknowledge you for that but here's a healthier way to convey them uh and i think that's uh that's that's really important so uh it was a really great article um and and i really think that um that peggy ornstein uh she 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 brings up a lot of great points um and i think you know, uh, we can re-educate um, our young men in a positive way by helping them confront their emotions and by helping them acknowledge what uh, what what they're feeling and to be able to convey it in a way that's healthy. And then also know that, like, hey, just because you convey your emotions, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to get what you want. Uh, but that, that's where you can have conversations about partnership and, uh, and, um, uh, compromise and things like that, which are, which are very healthy. So, uh, links to that in the show notes. Um, all right, last segment. Uh, I want to talk about, um, a passenger that I had, uh, probably a couple of months ago because we were talking about this very topic of emotions and expressing your emotions and, um, this person i was talking with them about my about the podcast about whiskey and rye which is which talking with strangers about the podcast has has been awesome but also really shitty at the same time um 
it's awesome talking with people about it because you can get real time feedback. And if I get in that point where I pitch it really well, people are like, Oh, that sounds awesome. Like I definitely want to subscribe. I want to be a part of it. I'm like, cool. That's great. But if I'm like kind of just having a weird day or I'm just off and just like whatever. And I don't pitch it that well. People are like, that sounds stupid. Or that sounds like nothing I would ever listen to ever. And you should just give up. Um, and so I was having kind of a day that felt fell in the middle of that spectrum, I guess more towards the like the shitty part of it. And I was kind of talking with this person about podcasts. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just encouraging men to, you know, be vulnerable and talk about whatever. And the guy goes, yeah, but aren't you kind of a pussy if you talk about your feelings? And again, I hate that word. So I'm going to say weak. And he goes, and so I was like, it just took me by surprise because I was like, First of all, I was like, wow, you need this podcast more than a lot of people that I know. But uh, it just got me thinking, Are does it make you weak to ask for your feelings or to, or to talk about your feelings? Does that make you a weak individual? And if so, why? And there is literally nothing I can think of that would justify calling someone weak for saying what they need in a way that's like normal and just like like hey this is what i need this is what i'm feeling like there's why someone would associate that with weakness i have no idea that makes that makes zero makes zero sense to me but for some reason that is that is associated with weakness we seem to as a cultural shame people who are like hey this is what i need we're like ugh. Look at you over here asking for what you need. You don't know about all the things that I'm that I need that I'm going without. Well, that's a problem in itself. And I think men champion that narrative of like, well, I'm gonna go without because that means I'm a real man. Absolutely it doesn't. A real man is someone who acknowledges what they need and then works with people, partnership, to then make sure that they get what they need, uh, because that's what healthy individuals do, regardless of gender. Uh, you can take that principle and put it with anybody, anybody who partners with people to make sure they get what they need as a healthy individual, straight up. So um, I had a really, but the thing is, I, I, I'll be honest, like I had a really hard time with this person because again, I have this need to be liked and uh, I wanted this person to like my show and I want him to like me. So I really backpedaled and I didn't really let, uh, I didn't really let my gut or my, my mind speak for itself. And I didn't just stand up and say like, no, I, I think you're definitely a strong individual for, for saying what you need. And, and I, I wish that I, I wish that I would have. Um, and there's, there's a, there's someone that I really admire, a woman named Alison Armstrong, and, um, she's a great social media account. And one, one of her posts over the past couple of weeks were something effective. What if, uh, what if, if, if asking for what you needed was a, an attractive quality in a partner? And I was like, oh man, that would be so great. It would be so great if asking for what you needed was sexy to someone, you know? Um, and as it turns out for my partner, she really enjoys that when I'm able to say, Hey, this is what I need, or this is how I'm feeling. She responds so well. I'm so thankful for that. And so, um, I, I wished that I would have had more confidence in myself to be able to share with this individual that no, you're not weak or you're not the P word. If you talk with someone about your feelings, we were also talking about like on a first date, he, I guess that's, I guess that's important context too. We we're talking about on the first date. He's like, isn't it weak to talk about your feelings on a first date? And I wasn't necessarily saying you should talk with someone on a first date, but what I was saying is that you should be open with someone right off the bat, you know, uh, especially men, like men, we, and all people too, when you're dating, we withhold all these things. And it's not even on your dating profiles. I looked at my LinkedIn profile the other day. I had so many things on my LinkedIn profile. I was like, I sound, there's no way I'm all of these things. I was like, I'm a public speaker, justice advocate, youth mentor, tax slayer. You know what I mean? Just like ridiculous. I didn't have tax slayer on there, but I'm hearing a lot of tax slayer commercials right now. And it's driving me insane. Um, 
And it's, it's just ridiculous stuff. So, you know, I had this sort of like inflated view of who I am and all these things that I stand for. And that's fine. I can be all of those things. But um, it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't really truthful. I wasn't portraying my, my honest version of who I am. And so I think that's, that's really what I'm trying to, to get to convey here is like, we need to be more honest. And I think men in general need to be more honest. Um, a lot of men who are dating are not looking you know, and in their, in their early twenties and thirties, they're not looking for commitment. Like, it's just like, it's true. Like, it's just, it's just, it is shifting a little bit, but, um, most men are not looking for commitment, but it's not anything more than they're just living out stereotypes, kind of like this bro culture where they feel like, well, I've got to be this sort of sexual conquistador. I've got to do all of these things before I can then settle down. And, you know, that's just, that's, that's feeding into so many things um, that are oppressive to women and um, in, in being oppressive to women are just oppressive to society and culture in general. Um, because when you suppress one, you suppress all. And so, you, you know, this culture, all of these things that I've been talking about, this article, the miseducation of the American boy, um, dealing with emotions how to confront your emotions are you weak if you control your emotions all of these things are um important in a healthy masculinity conversation knowing yourself your personality um those things and then just you know talking about things that you have learned uh you know and that's part of what i shared in my medium profile these are just things that i've learned all of these things wrapped up together in one uh to me make up uh something that is important for supporting healthy masculinity. So, um, so this was my first attempt at trying the, the segments in 15 minutes and, uh, just want to wrap up and say that, um, the, this is the reignite the pilot for whiskey and rye. And so, um, I do want to put out more episodes without having to lean just on interviews, and I certainly hope to do that. Um, I hope to find things that I want to talk about for 15-minute segments that you find interesting, and I hope that uh, that is something that going forward is helpful and that you enjoy that. Um, I do hope that you uh, consider joining the Patreon account. Uh, we have a special going for early Patreons. If you sign up now within the first 30 days, you get a special handwritten note from me uh, saying thank you. Uh, and so if you sign up for the $10 level uh, within these first 30 days, you get that. Plus, you'll also uh, get access. There's a post that I already have waiting for you. And uh, come Monday, you'll have access to this video. So you're going to get to see uh you're gonna get to see the video for this podcast and uh really fun you're gonna get to see the big backdrop while i go search for my macbook cord for like what seemed like five minutes so uh if you find that exciting i'm very excited about that uh join up on patreon um and that just again allows me to focus more on doing this full time which is which is the goal um uh, as always you can follow along on social media uh, i am on instagram and twitter at whiskey and rye pods uh you can also follow me personally at ryan charles la uh, i want to say thank you to my good buddies the deep west for providing the music for this podcast make sure to check them out on spotify and uh, you can find whiskey and rye on all major streaming platforms and i encourage you to share that beautiful piece of information with your friends and if you're looking for a way that you can support whiskey and rye in 2020 uh other than doing so financially you can leave us a five-star review on itunes let us know what you like about the show and that is extremely helpful so with that i raise my glass to you it's time for a whiskey road trip cheers <laughs>